The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and this is part of our continuing series on emotional intelligence. Now, I know from all the coaching that I've done and from the leaders that I've working, worked with, people who are more comfortable in talking about emotions, expressing emotions, responding to other people's emotions tend to be more effective, more believable, more trusted. And for sure, they certainly seem to be able to get the best out of their teams around me. So I'm really pleased today to have with me a very special guest, Tomas Chamura Pramuzek. Tomas is a researcher and a writer in emotional intelligence. He's been in this field for an incredibly long time, way before it was a popular field. He's CEO of Hogan Assessment Systems. He also holds an appointment as a professor at University College London, and he's a visiting professor at Columbia University. If that isn't enough, he's been a guest on a number of TV shows, has dozens of articles, eight books, and over 120 scientific publications. So, Tomas, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you. Delighted to have you here. So, Tomas, let's start at the top. I gave my introduction of what I think emotional intelligence is generally about, but how do you define emotional intelligence, and why does it matter so much? So, there are many definitions, but most of them emphasize one common element, which is um, having people skills or social skills. And more specifically, if you look at all the definitions, you will find that there are two components of emotional intelligence or EQ that are always highlighted. One is uh, what we refer to in generic terms as intrapersonal skills, so being able to manage yourself, and the other interpersonal skills, being able to manage others. And that would include things such as empathy, having uh, the ability to read other people's thoughts, and in general, being able to connect with others at an emotional level, not just at a level and explicit. So, Tomas, I often hear people say that you should try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. I also know that that's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do, and that's what we often think about in empathy. Is that what you mean by empathy, or are you talking about something different? Yes, that is basically what we mean. And there are two sides of empathy. One is um, the more cognitive element, which has to do to understand what other people are going through. Um, and that is really an element of empathy that is fairly 
um, rational and can really be taught and explained to others, even when they don't naturally get it and they don't naturally have this ability to take somebody else's position. But then there's a second level, which is deeper and more emotional, and that really is at the essence of EQ or emotional intelligence, which is emotional empathy, being able to not just understand what others are feeling, but actually feel it. So to connect with others at a deeper emotional level. So do you mean being able to feel the same emotion somebody else is feeling or just understand what it would feel like to be in that other person's shoes? Yeah, I mean the former, so being able to actually feel it. And what's interesting about this ability is that uh, it's more really a natural tendency or something happens as a result of spontaneous contagion than something that is cerebral um, and that can be taught uh, in a linear or explicit way, like, for example, academic skills or formal knowledge. Okay, so can we... Born, yeah, with a predisposition to connect with others emotionally. All right, so that's a, g- a genetic skill. Can we improve it, that ability to connect with other people emotionally, to feel the emotions they're feeling? Everything can be improved, and even when things are... Uh, predicted from a very early age, which enables us to um, infer that there are some some genetic or biological influences, uh, these things still develop with age. So what we can say is that some people have a more natural predisposition. In other words, they're pre-wired from an earlier age to be more likely to connect with others emotionally. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't influence this. And, um, you know, successful coaching interventions uh, have shown to have a, a fair amount of success at influencing this type of uh, tendencies. All right, I'm going to come back to how we coach that, but let me just stay focused on this notion of what is emotional intelligence. And I want to shift now to, you've been researching this for a really, really long time. Why do you think it has caught on and it matters so much today when we weren't talking about it 10, 15 years ago? I think, I think there are three main reasons for the ubiquitous interest emotional intelligence, in particular in the world of business. The first is the realization that academic qualifications, um, the stuff that people are taught at university and school, um, formal education in general, uh, is not enough so that we can you know, teach certain things that pertain formal knowledge for many years, but that doesn't equip people with the ability to manage others, with the ability operate effectively in social situations, situations that are or you have to work out by yourself what the correct uh, approach is. Second and related issue is that is the realization that IQ or cognitive ability is not enough. In other words, uh, you can be smart in a, in, a, in a book sense, book smart sense of the word, or you can be a very logical, convergent thinker, but that doesn't necessarily equip you uh, to be effective in the real world. And the third, I think it's more recent, is the fact that although jobs seem to be changing and developing or evolving, the world of work is evolving very rapidly with the penetration of technology and the um, ever-increasing um, complexity that people encounter at work. There's only one constant 
element work seems to have and will continue to have, which is that you always need to interact or deal with people. Even if those interactions are remotely and via email, you still need to have people skills. So I think these are the three reasons that have made EQ so important. So we have the notion that the academic qualifications aren't enough, that your logical and analytical skills are not enough, and that ultimately you have to interact with people. Now, we used to believe that when you're interacting with people, you would just stay with the facts, you take the emotions out of it, but somehow that doesn't seem like you can do it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I always quote uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's book here, um, you know, from uh, how to win friends and influence people, he said, whenever you're dealing with people, remember that you're dealing with creatures of emotion rather than creatures of logic. Um, no textbook, no handbook uh, on how effectively can prepare you uh, um, for the um, irrational or emotional element of social interactions. So um, training can help people become better at this, but the reality is that you need to uh, practice and be in contact with others to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And uh, again, neither universities nor our logical or cognitive abilities uh, are very helpful for, uh, um, for these sort of interactions. Okay, so let me go back to the very beginning then. When you were talking about emotional intelligence, you said that there's an intrapersonal, meaning me with other people, as well as an interpersonal, meaning myself. So the one is we talked about the empathy with other people as being part of the intrapersonal. But what about being able to control my own emotions? Is that part of it as well? Yeah, so controlling your own emotions is intrapersonal and empathy would be interpersonal. Um, controlling your own emotions has to do with being able to um, effectively label your emotional states or your mood states. In other words, understanding what you're going through, uh, detecting certain um, emotions, and being able to predict in advance, forecast how you might feel in a situation. So this is really important because if I'm torn between two or three different decisions, potential decisions, it helps to anticipate how uh, these different decisions will make me feel how I will feel about the outcome. And some people have this ability more than others. And then uh, there's a more generic component of intrapersonal skills, which has to do with anger management, um, being uh, non-reactive from an emotional point of view, staying calm and cool-headed under pressure, um, and being phlegmatic rather than, you know, excitable or, um, or temperamental or moody. So those are the main elements that have to do with intrapersonal skills. Okay. Now, I want to come be a little bit controversial here. So part of the premise of, that we've been talking about over the series of the radio show is that as you enter work, particularly for many jobs today, we ask you to become an expert. That part of the work is a very logical, analytical, critical often kind of work. And then as you progress in your career, we ask you to take on larger and larger and larger responsibilities, ultimately where you are operating outside of your immediate realm of control or expertise. I would argue 
that you could get away with limited emotional intelligence in the early part of your career where you're relying on expertise purely to get things done. But that later in your career, emotional intelligence becomes absolutely critical. Now, my question to you is, do you agree with me or you disagree with me? I mostly agree. You know, I think that, uh, first of all, it's important to understand that um, if you have if you have certain um, compensatory skills or qualities, um, let's not forget that you can get away with almost anything. Okay, now we we can we can look at the profile of highly successful uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs, business founders, um, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos. Um, and uh, the reality is that if we gave them an EQ test, they probably won't score very highly. But okay, they can get away with it because they are uh, they have incredible minds and they're very creative and they have a great vision for a company and so forth. And mostly they offloaded managerial responsibilities to people with higher emotional intelligence. Now, going back to the um, normal or um, general world of employment, I think that there are always three main drivers of uh, employability and career success. Uh, the first is ability, and that's what most people are hired for. Can you do the job? Do, the, do you have the technical expertise that uh, you need? And that, I think, resonates or is consistent with the example you were giving. Second one has to do with your work ethic, your drive, your ambition. And that really is what gets you promote it. But the third element, I think, has to do with people skills, likability, being rewarding to deal with, and being able to manage others. And I think that's where EQ is critical. So I agree with you because it's possible that somebody gets hired for a good role and even promoted up to a certain point because they have ability and work ethic, but maybe the role doesn't require much EQ if they don't have to manage other people or interact with um, others in a very, um, you know, political or strategic way. Okay. So now you said an interesting thing. We typically hire you because of your ability and maybe because of your expertise. Should we hire you because of your EQ? Well, it depends. You know, if you want to have the potential to develop a person or a candidate um, to higher levels of the organizational hierarchy, then yes, you should take in, take into account their EQ. Um, it will be one of the most important qualities that determines their leadership potential or effectiveness. There are today in the world lots of uh, extremely successful corporations, particularly in the technology firm, uh, Silicon Valley, that have no problem attracting great minds, brilliant engineers, people who are technically really competent, but then because they don't have that much EQ, uh, they can't make the transition from being an outstanding individual contributor to being a good manager of people, somebody who can enable teams to succeed and outperform rival teams, as opposed to somebody who can be left alone to their own devices and focus on solving very complex abstract problems. Okay, so we're back to that ability to lead, to enable other people to do actions, um, to dry, to help other people deliver the best that they can do, enable, in other words. Okay, and at yes. that level, you need EQ. Yeah, um, absolutely. Do you have an example of, you know, you don't have to give names, but an example of somebody you've worked with who just had fabulous EQ, and can you kind of give us a description of what they did that was distinct from anybody else? 
Yes, and I, and I think I will use a, a generic example here that uh, um, you know might help people understand also the difference between um, the profile of a, of a successful or effective manager and the profile of a successful or effective leader, you know, a more senior leader at a higher level. Um, and I think really the best managers that I've worked with uh, tended to have high emotional intelligence, by which I mean um, that they were very stable, they were quite predictable, they were very reliable, um, they were not self-centered, they had the ability to monitor their team's feelings and understand what individuals wanted. They were fair, um, and above all, you know, it's important to look at what they were not. They were not excitable, they were not moody, they were not irritable. That really makes for an effective manager. And, you know, it's often the case that these individuals don't make great leaders because they're not necessarily very creative, they don't have a great vision, and they're not very strategic in their thinking. They're just really good at focusing on their team's morale and well-being. Okay. So I have somebody who's got a lot of wonderful qualities in that they're not self-centered. They're going to focus on the individuals, giving people what they need. They're calm under crisis. They don't get moody, but not terribly creative. Okay. So what is it that a leader does that's distinct? Well, if you're looking for a good senior leader, um, somebody who um, has to manage not a team, but a whole organization, a whole business, and ensure that uh, that business organization's growth in the long term, you will find that their profile is quite different. It's not that important um, to have uh, good people skills. It's not that important to be nurturing, to be altruistic, and to be focused on building uh, um, employee morale. What's important is to have the ability to make the right decisions. So good judgment and uh, having uh, an entrepreneurial mindset and being self-aware to some extent. I mean, that is the element of EQ that is still present in uh, more senior leadership. Um, and above all, having integrity. is a combination of competence, integrity, and good judgment. And vision is much more important than at lower levels of the organizational hierarchy. Being able to explain to your uh, management team what the mission is, what the long-term vision is, and why they're doing what they should be doing. Okay. So I presume, though, for people who are rising to the top of a large organization, that somewhere along the line they have to have some good EQ skills, but that the EQ becomes less of what is driving their success as a CEO and rather this ability to make the right decisions and have good integrity and be an entrepreneurial and so on becomes a leading component. Yes, exactly. And that explains, you know, the the low overlap between people who are um, naturally predisposed, let's say, to being good managers and people who are naturally predisposed to being uh, highly successful entrepreneurs or senior leaders. If you look at the biography of most um, self-made entrepreneurs, in particular the cases of extremely successful self-made billionaires, uh, entrepreneurs, you will see that by traditional standards, they were almost unemployable in psychological terms. In fact, many of them were unemployable and were expelled by other people's businesses and, uh, you know, ended up creating their own venture almost as an antidote uh, to their own personality, which had uh, a lot of low EQ components. Okay. Interesting point, Amas. We're going to take a break. 
And when we come back, I want to continue this conversation and talk about how do you assess EQ. And particularly, I want to pick up this notion of can you have too much of it? So we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Thomas Chamora Pramuzek. Thomas is a great researcher and writer on emotional intelligence, CEO of Hogan Assessment Systems, a professor at University College London, and a visiting professor at Columbia University, and loads of publications on emotional intelligence behind him. Now, we've just been talking about what makes for a great leader within an organization, um, a manager, we might say, who is responsible for bringing teams along with them. And we talked about the qualities of emotional intelligence that are particularly critical there, both the interpersonal skills as well as the intrapersonal. So the ability to actually understand somebody's emotions and feel the emotions they're feeling, plus the ability to regulate my own emotions so that I can say calm, under crisis, not moody, not irritable. Now, Thomas, I want to go back to this notion of, especially in the managerial ranks, in the middle ranks of an organization, not at the CEO and not at the entrepreneurial level. And I want to talk about how to assess emotional intelligence. Can you really get an accurate evaluation of people's EQ? Yes, you can. And uh, we have developed a psychometric test for this purpose. Um, it takes about 20 minutes to complete, and it's a self-report personality assessment. So there's around 150 statements that you answer and you go through. Um, sometimes people uh, are a little bit skeptical of this methodology. They think, okay, if uh, I'm presented with self-reports, uh, I can fake on it, I can game it. But the reality is that well-designed, scientifically developed tests make 
faking and faking good and social desirable responding very difficult you know it's very difficult to um, guess what each question is trying to evaluate and the important thing for people to understand is that when we validate these tests we give them to people in high-stake settings when they have every incentive to fake and cheat and yet we find that the uh, scores still predict performance. They still predict people's uh, job performance, their leadership effectiveness. And what's even more important to understand is don't just try to predict their individual measures of career success, but also how they're contributing to the organization. So in other words, we would correlate um, uh, people's EQ scores in high-stake settings when they complete them as part of a selection exercise with various measures of organizational effectiveness, so profits, revenues, customer uh, satisfaction ratings, and so forth. So the answer is yes, you can measure it, and specifically what we're trying to predict is um, different measures, objective uh, measures of um, a performance that has to do with better people skills, better ability to uh, navigate social situations. Yeah. So I get complaints all the time from people when they take these self-assessments that questions repeat themselves. And you're saying, in effect, repetition is designed into the, or- the instrument to make sure that we've got some validity and some predictability for things that matter like performance. Yes. I mean, the reality is some of some of the complaints that you hear from people are warranted because there are many, many tests or tools that are not uh, scientifically validated and that may superficially look like uh, good or robust tools, but actually, um, you know, the questions or statements have been put together pretty randomly, intuitively, and without a thorough methodology or background. The fact that you have... Uh, several questions or similar items that appear to repeat themselves has to do uh, with a very basic uh, component of uh, scientifically valid tests, which is the fact that individual questions or statements are not really that relevant. Uh, What matters is uh, compounds or buckets of questions that go together and uh, help uh, provide a score on a facet or a profile. So um, when you see that questions repeat themselves, they might be there either uh, to check whether you're paying attention, whether you're answering in a logical or consistent way, and in some cases because, um, you know, when you have lots of questions, it is possible that you're distracted uh, during, you know, four or five questions. But if you have multiple uh, signals for the same facet or profile, then, uh, you reduce the amount of error in the data and you get a more accurate profile. Okay, all right. So well said in terms of what makes for how, you know, how to understand the questions that you get asked. Now, at Hogan, in your EQ assessment, and I will say I'm a pretty big fan of the assessment. I use it a lot. It's a bit different than other EQ assessments. What distinguishes your approach from others? Yes, indeed. There are four um, unique... Uh, The first is that our assessment, our EQ test, 
is the only EQ test specifically developed with workplace data, so which is derived from real-world managers, real-world employees, and specifically developed for the purpose of uh, organizational assessment or talent management. And so if you look at other tests, most of them have been developed with students, university students, and for research purposes. And you have some that are used in uh, employment or organizational settings, but um, they were not thoroughly developed. Secondly, our assessment focuses not just on the bright side of the personality, but also on the dark side. So um, what I mean by this is that we tell you not just how you function when you are at your best, when you're trying to uh, manage your reputation and perform highly, but also how you're likely to react when things aren't going well, when you're under pressure, when your guard is down. And so that's very important, obviously, because EQ is particularly relevant in situations of high stress, high pressure. And then we also, unlike other assessments, highlight both the pros and cons of high and low scores uh, traditionally. And if you look at uh, all the other available assessments, they would just assume that higher scores are always good and lower scores are always bad. And we have a much more nuanced uh, approach to interpreting high and low scores. And finally, this one is very important, although it's or a psychometric uh, issue. Although we present people with self-report statements, we're not really taking their answers at face values. We don't rely on your introspection, your self-knowledge. Um, what we give you is a bunch of statements to present yourself, and the way that we make um, sense of your answers is by comparing your answers to that of millions of managers that have been profiled in the past. So to give you an example, there might be a question that is, or a statement that is, I'm good at everything I do. And for most EQ tests, if you say yes, you would have high emotional intelligence because that makes you a confident person. In our tests, if you say yes, that lowers your emotional intelligence because people who say yes to the question or the statement of I'm good at everything I do tend to be seen as bold, arrogant, and narcissistic by others. And that is the opposite of high emotional intelligence. Okay, so now we get why you can't just take the questions at face value. You have to react accordingly. All right, so yeah. Thomas, let me ask. You say that you know when you're looking at this, you see pros and cons both of high and of low. Can you have too much EQ? Is that possible? You can. You know, EQ is essentially uh, personality. So, um, I mean, it's an umbrella term for different personality attributes or um, qualities. So, you know, the same rule that applies to other personality uh, traits or attributes applies to EQ in that certain things will be good for uh, or any combination of scores or profile might be good in some situations but bad in others. Um, although there are lots of advantages of high emotional intelligence, we have also found that particularly people who have very high EQ um, are often seen as smart, complacent, uh, they have trouble uh, attending and taking on board negative feedback. You know, they are not very interested in, uh, I mean, it's not that they are annoyed by criticism, but they're so secure and so um, uh, certain of themselves that they ignore it and they might often fail to display a sense of urgency. And likewise, we have found that, found that people with 
very low emotional intelligence uh, also display certain characteristics that are generally seen as positive. They tend to be more passionate, they tend to be more creative, and they're also more interested in, in negative feedback or criticism. They might not like it, but because they question themselves more and they're their own worst enemy in a sense, uh, they're much more likely to attend to negative feedback than high EQ scores are. So I get some, I get what you mean. I get some advantages with high IQ and I get some disadvantages with high EQ. And I also get some advantages with low EQ, meaning somebody who's willing to take on board negative feedback and question themselves. And at the same time, I get some disadvantages. I get your point on that one. Let's talk for a minute about people who are charismatic, inspiring, very, you know, they, I often hear of these kind of leaders that people have a hard time saying no to them. Um, at the same time, you get the sense that some of these people can be sort of self-serving, manipulative. Is there a fine line between that charismatic and manipulative behavior? It's a great question. You know, and I think it, it really all depends at the end of the day it depends on um, how ethical these individuals are and what their moral uh, compass is, how much integrity they have, okay? Um, the reality is that charisma uh, can be used as a powerful weapon to influence others. And if you look at it from an other perspective, the reality is, as you were saying, that when people are charismatic or charming, um, it's harder for uh, the public or followers uh, or for the group or um, you know people who are judging the leader, it's harder to evaluate these people objectively. Charisma is a seduction weapon, and unfortunately, it's very distracting, you know. So, uh, and in the Western world, where charisma has been glorified as an essential component of leadership, uh, sometimes we fail to look for substance. We fail to evaluate competence, and all we look for is how media savvy or how charming or charismatic somebody is. Um, at the end of the day, you can have leaders who are great and completely uncharismatic. And you can have leaders who are very incompetent and very charismatic. If you look at the world of politics and you throw a dart randomly on a map of the world today, you will find that there's about 70% of countries or states that are not doing very well, that are having big problems. Most of these countries or states will be run by charismatic leaders. Turns out they're not very competent. All right. So, a charis- so charisma is a wonderful weapon used for good and for ill. We want to look in addition at somebody's ethics, their um, integrity, as well as their competence. So we want to know that they're actually solid in what they're doing and what they're deciding. All right, fair enough. Now, let's turn back. In the first segment, we were talking about entrepreneurial CEOs. Steve Jobs, as an example, people who've made a phenomenal success out of life, but who were essentially unemployable. In the beginning, let me talk. Let's talk a minute about creative talent that kind of talent that is the spark in an organization that has the wild idea. Um, how do they stack up on emotional intelligence in general? You know, there is in general a negative correlation between 
the two between emotional intelligence and uh, creative talent, creative potential. Now, this correlation is is not substantial. You know, it might be statistically significant, but it's quite low. But I think conceptually, if we think about it, it makes sense. Um, if you are a creative person, if you are dispositionally more uh, driven uh, to innov- innovate, to uh, change things. I mean, I think a great definition of uh, entrepreneurship or innovation is that of creative destruction, you know. Uh, what this implies is that creative people um, are naturally less satisfied with the status quo. They have a bigger appetite for changing the world, for uh, destroying existing rules. And all this overlaps with a certain element that is quite antisocial, you know, from a, from an attitudinal perspective. In other words, if you look at the profile of highly successful entrepreneurs or innovators, you will see that they were profoundly dissatisfied with the rules or the status quo that uh, uh, represented, you know, the world before they changed it. And if you think about the profile of somebody who has high emotional intelligence, they will be naturally much more pro-social, happy with the world as it is, and more reliable, you know, more kind of, I mean, um, almost, it's it's possible that the decisive element here is that the higher your emotional intelligence, uh, the more preoccupied you would be with uh, disrupting things or going against the rule, because that's sort of antisocial. So I think that explains the negative relationship between the two. All right. So I'm getting a real picture here of the notion of the pros and cons of high emotional intelligence and low emotional intelligence. So first off, to just summarize, yes, we can assess it. And yes, there's quite a bit of science behind the kind of questions we ask, even if those aren't transparent to somebody answering a survey question. So it can be reliable, valid and predictive of performance that matters. And I get the sense of somebody who's extremely high on EQ, who is very social, maybe very charismatic, very content with the world, very positive in many, many ways, and quite self-assured, is not necessarily the person who's going to take on the negative feedback or who's going to change the status quo. And equally, the person who is dissatisfied a bit antisocial, willing to challenge people in quite dramatic ways, who might be a little lower on the EQ, is often the creative spark, the one who's willing to be edgy enough to change things. Pros and cons on both sides. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to answer the all-important question, which is, so we can measure it, We can hire for it. There's pros and cons in being high and pros and cons in being low. We understand what it means. Now, can we improve it? And more importantly, how do we go about improving it? So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Thomas Chamora Primuzak. Thomas is currently CEO of Hogan Assessment Systems. He is also a professor at the University College of London and a visiting professor at Columbia University, a writer and researcher on emotional intelligence with over 120 scientific publications and eight books to his name, along with a load of other things. We've been talking about emotional intelligence, in particular the notion that emotional intelligence involves interpersonal as well as intrapersonal skills, so understanding my own emotions and understanding emotions of others, being at a cognitive level and being able to feel the same things that other people are feeling at a deeper level. We were also just talking about the fact that really high EQ, emotional intelligence, has some real strengths and some disadvantages, and low EQ has some real strengths and some real disadvantages. So we can verify that it's possible to assess it. We can verify that we can hire for it if that's what you want to do. But Tomas, how much can we really develop emotional intelligence in people? Yes, and that I think is the $1 million question. Um, look, my view is that first I think that any coaching intervention uh, is to some degree an attempt to uh, develop certain elements of EQ, even if it's not formally framed as such. So uh, we need to look at the effectiveness of interventions to get an idea of how much we can change. And it's always a matter of degree. So um, I think it's important to understand that uh, um, we can't take somebody who has a zero score on emotional intelligence, so no social skills or interpersonal skills whatsoever, and turn them into, I mean, shift them to the completely opposite, complete opposite extreme and turn them into somebody who has great awareness, great empathy, who is very charismatic and so forth. Um, I think on average, um, interventions that are well-designed uh, yield... Um, uh, changes or improvements of about 20 to 30 percent, okay? Now, this data might not generalize to the average intervention in the real world because it's based on uh, the sessions or programs that are published in scientific journals, and those we could expect those to be better designed and executed than the average intervention. At the same time, I think 
it's important to understand that certain elements of emotional intelligence are easier to influence than others. For example, social etiquette, social skills, um, are fairly easy to train uh, when you are um, moving an employee or a manager from one culture to another. Um, the, these sort of interventions work fairly well. well to, I mean, even if you leave people to their own devices and they can observe and uh, adjust to a culture, their social skills and their etiquette will improve. Uh, Self-awareness training uh, works generally well. And I mean, Mostly through assessment, that's what we're trying to do. We provide people with feedback. I mean, if you're using good 360s, you do the same. You provide people with feedback that is supposed to help them understand what other people think of them, how other people see them. And that raises their self-awareness, which will inevitably raise their EQ as well. And even empathy training with people who are not naturally uh, good at understanding what others feel uh, has been found to work. I mean, even in extreme populations, delinquents, uh, psychopathic people, um, people who, uh, I mean, criminals uh, who might suffer from empathy deficits, after you put them through certain programs, they become more empathetic and more altruistic. What's harder to change is to make people less volatile, less excitable than they actually are. I mean, in general, anger management interventions can only be effective in the short term. They may at best succeed at helping you inhibit certain reactions, volatile reactions that might be problematic, but we won't turn somebody who is like Woody Allen into the Dalai Lama, certainly not in the long term. So the whole people who have a tendency to have an outburst, in other words, are going to have a harder time regulating that outburst over the longer term. We might get them over the short term, but then they're going to wobble back to not inhibiting. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. So what we try to do with them is show them that they have uh, low EQ scores, at least in that area, you know, in the uh, self-management domain, help them understand that and help them monitor uh, or prevent these reactions in critical moments. Uh, they might still need to vent out and get excitable in other circumstances, but at least if we take that outside of the world of work and their careers, it might be, uh, they might be better off. Okay, so let me take a common example I see in my coaching practice. A lot of occasions. Somebody who is very smart, very quick, very good judgment but who is impatient, particularly with people who can't come up the curve fast enough. And when there's a sense of urgency and sense of timing that's critical, they can get a little bit hostile and uh, volatile. Okay, so in your sense, we would be able to raise that person's self-awareness so that they would recognize the limitations of what they're doing but we're not necessarily going to change their behavior from one that is more pa- to one that's more patient. Is that a good summary or you disagree? Exactly. That's an excellent summary. So, for example, if that person understands the implications of the profile, they might be able to not reply straight away to certain emails, not uh, answer to certain calls, and not make decisions when they're in a volatile phase, and wait until they calm down, even though you know they might still react in volatile, excitable ways in other circumstances. All right, so again, we have a self-awareness, recognizing you're in that state, 
and then some tactics not to react in the moment. But we're still dependent upon the self-awareness. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. Let me give you a different example um, that I heard recently. So this was a manager, a really lovely, delightful human being, I will sort of say on this one, who um, was giving feedback to a an employee, very difficult in message, and the employee is having an emotional reaction and not a good one, quite upset by the feedback that's coming back. The manager was completely unglued about how to deal with the emotional reaction that was happening in the moment. I had, you know, just completely lost on what to do. So not knowing what to do, being exceedingly embarrassed for the individual that's sitting in front of him, he picked up his Blackberry with the good intent of giving the employee a few moments to just collect their thoughts. Okay. How would you help that individual, that manager, develop increased self-awareness? Yes, so, you know, it seems like what you're describing is a manager who, in uncomfortable situations, decides to somehow withdraw from uh, interpersonal um, contacts. You know, it's somebody who is perhaps reserved and... uh, um, at least recognizing that they're not able to handle a certain situation, um, they just move away from people. Um, look, I think that it, 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 I like in your example that you're involving technology and picking up the BlackBerry or the phone because I think um, for all the many disadvantages and criticisms that we hear about technology, I think it, it's a very helpful tool um, to improve um, managers and certain people's ability to handle certain situations in that when you have uh, relationships that are technologically mediated, people who are perhaps more reserved, not that strong interpersonal, and who need some distance and who need to uh, get in the right zone or perhaps avoid being in front of um, uh, other people, can send a message, send an email, write a note uh, that conveying something that they wouldn't be able to convey face to face. So again, you want you want turn that type of manager into somebody who can um, raise to the occasion and in that moment uh, confront the person and deal with the facts and find the necessary strength or uh, confidence, social confidence to do something, but perhaps it's possible to help them prevent those situations or deal with those situations um, when they have some distance, I mean, physical distance from from uh, their team members or the, these individuals. All right, so your strategy with working with someone like this would be to create some, let them create space and to be able to operate and communicate in a medium that is more comfortable with them. Um, my case in working with this individual, what I did was just to flat out give them tactics. What do you say? So here's the phrase that you say in this moment in time. Who knows which one works, but that's what that is exactly what we were trying to to get them towards. Yeah, right, so, exactly. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk for a minute about resilience and stress management. 
um, I know that parts of EQ, particularly as you assess it at Hogan, has to do with your ability to manage your own stress in the moment. Do you have any tips for helping people manage stress? This is really, um, um, again, it's, it's, I think, probably to some extent any psychological tip or suggestion we always say, you know, it's easier said than done. And I think this is probably the area for which that is most true. Um, there's so much written about uh, what people can do to combat stress or deal with stress or become more resilient. And I think that it's, it's uh, too frequently that we forget how much of this is dispositional. You know, if you, whether you call it a high adjustment, uh, high emotional intelligence, high resilience. The reality is that um, when you're looking at adults, so much of these uh, competencies or abilities have already developed to the point that they're very hard to change or influence. I think that the suggestions that are most effective and easiest to implement have to do with, again, understanding what you're like and being able to prevent or avoid certain situations that are going to cause you stress and throw you into a zone where your performance is going to be severely disrupted. So it might be simple things such as if you can't cope with uh, uh, pressure or work uh, work uh, effectively when you're when you are close to a short deadline. Well, make sure that you. Um, that you divide your work and prioritize in certain ways that you don't reach these situations. If you don't feel comfortable and you feel too much pressure and you're likely to experience stress when you have to give a presentation in front of lots of people, well, then you're going to have to prepare four or five times more than the average person and you still you know, shouldn't expect to be uh, to deliver uh, a theatrical or charismatic performance. So I think it's knowing your limitations and um, managing or mitigating the impact that stress can have by mostly doing your homework in advance and, uh, and reducing the amount of pressure that different situations are likely to evoke. Okay. All right. So I come back to the same theme that you've talked about all the way through this show, which is our best interventions for helping people develop emotional intelligence really become with self-awareness to understand what it is that creates that reaction in you and recognize the situations for which you are likely to have that reaction and then to take um, actions that are going to mitigate the circumstances to get your pause, to get you prepared, to um, have you calm down, to understand the impact on others, and to just step back a bit. So it's self-awareness followed by some tactics to delay. Yes, Tomas, um, thank you so much for being part of the show today. I think the one thing that I really find most fascinating about this conversation is the notion that high EQ has a set of strengths and a set of disadvantages. 
and low EQ has a set of strengths and a set of disadvantages. I think, therefore, for all of us, it's of a matter of understanding what are my real pros and cons, what do I want to try to move a little bit forward, and more importantly, how do I learn to manage myself in those circumstances for the best outcome. So thanks for being part of the show. Thank you for having me. All right, well, next week we're going to continue with this topic of emotional intelligence. Dina Michelli, who's a coach, is going to really help us focus on this notion of stress and vulnerability and what we can actually do in those moments when we are feeling perhaps not at our best. So join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.